like Becky says, we're continuing and concluding our unity series this morning. And to be honest with you, Ben came to me this morning. He said, are you ready? Are you all right for your preach? And I was like, you know what, Ben? To be honest with you, this morning, I feel like the least qualified person to talk on unity after the week I've had in my family, falling out with my kids, shouting at them, telling them off, they're doing me head in. And so I apologize to them, even though one of them isn't in the room, and I love you, and I'm going to try my best to be better unified at home as I try and share with you what I really believe is an important message God's put on my heart. So can I encourage you this morning, if you think, well, I really struggle to connect with people, and I find it difficult to be unified with people, we just all do. It's, It's hard. Unity is not an easy thing. But this morning, I want to try and explain to you why it's such a powerful thing and why it's so important to put the time in and the energy in and the forgiveness in and the bearing within. Because if we do, the power that there is in unity and the difference that it makes. We've sang so many songs this morning about breakthrough. That's what unity brings. So this morning, if you think... I really struggle with this. I think we all really struggle with this at times. It can be really hard. But I want to encourage you, keep persevering, keep trying, keep digging in with your unity because it causes change to happen. And you know, unity, the definition of it is the state of being united or joined as a whole. And I think it's really interesting that as a city, our motto, and most of you will probably know this, but if you don't, here you go. Our motto is Vis Unita Forte, which means united strength is stronger. And the reason they put this motto in is because we used to be lots of little towns dotted around and they decided we're not going to be lots of little towns dotted around, let's be one big city. And for those of you who know this city well, Some places are still on a journey to decide they want to be a city. Some places are like, I am a town. I will be a town until the end of time. But we're trying to be a city and be united. And as people, we can be like that sometimes. As people, we can be, well, yeah, I'm a part of it, but I'm me and I'm going to stay me. And I will be a part, but I'll just be next to you, actually. And that's what this part of the Bible that I'm going to talk to you first about this morning basically talks about and it's probably for some of you a really well-known part of the bible and you've probably read lots of things on it and heard lots of things on it before and it's really long so if you'll just bear with me as I read it that would be wonderful and it's from 1 Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 27 and it's basically Paul writing to the church in Corinth to encourage them to be unified with each other And we're going to read from the message version of the Bible. And it says this. You can easily enough see how this kind of things works by looking no further than your own body. Have a little look at your body. Everyone brought the body with them today? Have a little look at it. It's a great example. The body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. But no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used the independent call our own sh- we each used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. 
this is where we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. So if you've been baptized, when you got baptized, you said, goodbye to me. I'm part of Christ. That's what we said. If you've never been baptized, we've got a baptismal service coming up soon. You can do that. That may seem a scary thing. So it carries on. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained as one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. So Paul's trying to say to the church in Corinth, you're part of something bigger. Lay aside your individuality, although you don't need to get rid of that, but be part of something and someone who is bigger. It carries on in verse 14. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like I, limpid and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? If the body was all eye, how could it hear? If all ear, how could it smell? Is As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. This morning, you are right where he wants you. And you don't need to look at someone else and say, I wish I was a nose like them. Or I wish I was an eyelash like them. What a fabulous eyelash they are. Because God has placed you right where he wants you, fulfilling the part that he's called you to fulfill. And it goes on. But I also want you to think about how This keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you are part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. Don't you just love the message translation? (laughs) What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. Can you imagine I telling hand, get lost, I don't need you, or head telling foot, you're fired, your job has been phased out. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. When it's a part of your own body you are connected with, it makes no difference whether the part is visible or clothed, higher or lower. You give it dignity and honour just as it is, without comparisons. If anything, you have more concern for the lower parts than the higher. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? Any bald people out there want to contribute to that? The way, well, the the amount of hair we all shave off each other, I'd say that yes, we would really, wouldn't we? The way God designed our bodies is a model. 
for, I'll just ignore that, is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. It's brilliant, isn't it? Why don't we do it? Why do we say to one another, oh, you're no good, or I'm better than you, I can do a better job. Why do we do it? Paul's writing the letter because that is what the church was doing. And still today, there are times when we behave like that with one another. So what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth is still completely appropriate to us today. You know, unity is about being joined into something greater. It's about letting go and surrendering who we are and being part of something bigger. But I really believe if we don't know who we are in him and that we are part of him and accepted in him and loved in him and therefore from that stance and place we operate and love one another and are kind and generous with one another, then the journey of unity is a difficult one with a very rocky road where what actually comes out of us is insecurity, what comes out of us is ego what comes out of us is frustration yet if we first find ourselves in him find who we are in him then unity will flow much easier so my first point for you this morning is this finding you John the Baptist in John 3 verse 30 talked about Jesus had to increase, and therefore he had to decrease. And he was basically talking about the fact that Jesus had come along, and from a public ministry point of view, Jesus was going to be the one that people flocked to now. They weren't going to keep flocking to John. They were going to begin to flock to Jesus because the message that he brought. But you know, I think there's something we can learn in that. That if Jesus is number one, and if Jesus is the one that people are flocking to, then we realize that we're no longer self-important, that we're no longer the one that has to be seen. And we all want to be seen to some degree. We all want to be special. But if we realize that actually we're the ones that are pointing to him, just like John was in the time when he came before Jesus and was preparing the way, in the same way, we prepare the way for people to come and find Jesus. And at that point, we must decrease so he can increase in their lives. And it's all part of the unity. Because if we're a body, then Jesus is the head. And Jesus is the one that they will look to and need to find. So first and foremost, you've got to find you in him. And Paul was talking to the church in Corinth. I don't know whether many of you know what Corinth was like at the time. It was a very interesting place. Corinth 
geographically was between two ports and it controlled the trade routes from Asia to Rome. And so there was an awful lot of people that passed through those two ports that were connected with Corinth and an awful lot of variety of people. So in Corinth, you found something for everybody because everybody was passing through. So you found temples to every god under the sun, to Greek, to Roman, to Egyptian gods. We found Jewish synagogues. You found everything and everybody there. And Corinth had also got a bit of a name for itself in that if they said you were a Corinth girl, it wasn't a compliment. You're understanding what I'm saying to you, aren't you? But Corinth was a place that was very diverse and it was also a place that basically accepted anything. Anything went in Corinth, anything. And so this was the place where there was a church being begun to build with a group of people who had lived in a place that they thought that was the norm. So they were having to change how they saw things and how they operated and what they did. Corinth was culturally diverse, but it was religiously diverse as well. And I think if we can understand the diversity was there and what Paul was actually speaking to, then it can help us to gauge from what he's saying, what he's actually trying to say to us and how it can help us. Does that make sense? So Paul basically was saying, you know, stand up for your beliefs and your morals Don't get pulled in. You need to be set apart. You need to stand aside. Paul was saying to him, don't put yourself above the rest, but love and encourage. Be humble. There's no self-importance. Paul was saying that, you know, it takes conflict to find unity. And through that conflict, people can see that there's a bigger love and a bigger heart behind what you're doing that says something different. Corinth's philosophy was basically cultural pluralism. And if you don't know what that is, it basically means I'm okay and you're okay and that's just fine. I won't mess in your business. You don't mess in my business and we'll just both carry on doing what we're doing next to each other. And so this led to religious pluralism as well, which basically meant the same thing. You go and worship at the temple of Apollo. You go and worship at the Egyptian temple. You go to the Jewish synagogue. I'll go to my church and that's okay. And we'll just all leave each other to do what we leave each other to do. But Paul was trying to get something deeper built in to the Christian faith that didn't say within itself, well, you live your Christian life like that. I'll live my Christian life like this and we'll just live alongside each other and I won't mess in what you're doing. You don't mess in what I'm doing and tell me off when I'm not adhering to what Jesus said and that's okay. Paul wanted something deeper than this walking along next to each other. He wanted something deeper where there was actually a oneness, where actually we're not just next to each other, we are one with each other, we are part of each other. I don't know about you when you cook at home or how many people you have in your house, but there are times And there's four of us at home, and then we have a dog. And there are times where I'm like, how many meals can I cook at one meal time? And how many different ways can I cook them? Because I have um, have to eat certain things, could have a medical thing. Olivia's just fussy, and 
Paul and Grace just will fancy what they fancy. So sometimes I can find myself cooking four different meals and some of you sitting there going, you're just stupid. Why don't you just make the same thing and let them all eat the same thing? Because I'm just going along with it and well, I'll do this and you do this and let's just make everyone happy. Now recently, Olivia, our youngest child, please don't go and speak to her and tell her that I've been talking about her. She She just tells me off when I get home. It's really not good. But our youngest child, she's going away next year on a camp for a week with the school. And we've sort of said to her, you know, Olivia, when you go to this camp, there's certain food, there's a few choices, but you're just going to have to eat what's there. And so we've begun this little journey with it where we're like, why don't you just eat what we eat? And so we sort of put in different things on a plate that she wouldn't normally eat. And obviously I am feeding her, so you don't need to ring social services. Um... And we're just trying to be one in what we eat instead of all being separate. Does that make sense? And sometimes we can be like that as Christians. We can be like, well, I like the worship thing. I like the Bible thing. I like just the fellowship. It's the fellowship for me. I don't care about anything else. I just want to be with people and be friends with people. And we all have the different things that we like, that works for us. But God calls us to be one. God calls us to be in unity. God calls us to be part of, yes, let's all be part of reading the word together. Let's all be part of fellowship together. Let's all be part of breaking of bread together. Let's all be part of these different things as one, not just picking and choosing what works and what suits us. And until we find us in that, then we can't find God and what he's calling us to as the one. Because unless we know who we are, we don't know what we need to deal with and work through so we can submit those things and say, okay, I'll be part. I'll submit the fact that cabbage isn't working for me and I'll just submit it to God and I'll let him deal with that and I'm going to be part. Cabbage is an issue in our house. (laughs) If you don't like cabbage, keep working with it. It's good for you. You know, if we find ourselves in him, then we can find where he wants to take us together. But until we submit ourselves to him as the head of the body, until we stop trying to say, I'm the hand, I'm the best bit, or until we stop trying to say, that foot just, that just does my head in, how that foot just keeps doing that and playing their music really loud, and I don't like how they speak either, and I don't like what they preach about and everything else, but instead be in unity embrace them for who they are and what they love and what they do and be as one and if we're all as one then whoa something is going to change we've got to become the body we've got to stop living as this is the hands section this is the foot section everybody who likes doing foot things come this way. Everybody who likes doing ear things, this is the meeting for you. Everybody who likes doing things that have to do with the eye, this is the group for you to join. Instead, we should be one, doing all. Well, I actually, I don't like feet things, but I'm going to go and love and encourage the people who do the feet things and say, well done, oh feet things. I really don't like you or what you do, but I'm going to be one with you. I'm going to submit that dislike to Christ and I'm going to love and encourage the feet people. And the feet people do the same to everyone else. 
in their way. So if we find you, me, then the next step is becoming the body. And I'm going to take you on a little journey. So if you just bear with me, and it does make sense at the end. I want to take you back to Genesis in the beginning. God made the body. He made Adam. And it was important And I want to prove to you why it was important. We know it was important that God made Adam and Eve. But listen to this. In Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27, in the New American Standard Bible, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So we see that God created man. And he created man in his image. And you think, oh, that's what makes it special. There's something more. Because when you read before and you read, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be animals. God said, let there be heavens and the earth. And it says that God's voice... At God's command, God said it, and the next sentence says, and it was. Yes, would you agree? Then it goes on to this bit here, where it talks about man. God doesn't say what he says for the other ones. God actually stops and has a little chat with himself. He doesn't say, let there be man, and there was man. But God stops and he says, you know what, Jesus, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image So already something different's going on. Something strange and unusual is happening in the creation story that hasn't happened up to this point. God has stopped creating and is having a little chat with himself about how good this body he's going to make is going to be. And then we read in Genesis 2 verse 7 this. Then the Lord God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. He breathed life-giving breath into his nostrils and the man began to live. God didn't just command when he made man, when he made body. God actually touched. God touched. He picked the soil up and he formed the body with his own hands. Something unique and significant happened when the body was first created Then he doesn't stop there in doing something outrageous from the norm. It says then he breathed his breath into it. And at that point, God breathed life and something new and fresh came in. God did something significant and something new when he made the body in the first place. And then we see again... We move on, and one of the prophets, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 2, says this. And bear with me, and I'll explain. It says, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will be announced, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. 
God made Adam and Eve in the beginning. And he put something significant into that body when he made it. But you know the story, over time, sin crept in, things got a mess. The vessel was spoiled in God's hand. And so what does he tell us that the potter did? The potter remade it into another vessel. And we see God, when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, going about the action of remaking the body that he designed in the beginning to be remade into something new and something significant that could bring change to the world. Are you following with me? God remade the body and this time he made the body with Christ at the head. Jesus lost his life so we could be united with him. The veil tore in the temple. We're no longer separate, but we can be united with God through Christ in the new body that we are as a church. But so many of us choose to stand outside that body and say, I want to be a part of it, but I'm just going to be this, I'm just going to be here. And I'll walk along with you and do everything with you, but I don't know whether I actually want to be in embodied in the body with you and that's the journey we've got to go on the journey of surrender where we surrender ourselves to Christ where he is the head and the content of the body is us full of Christ not full of ourselves not full of being a foot or full of being an eye or full of being an ear but us full of being who God calls us to be We've got to become the body because as we become the body that was once made and then broken and then remade, we become a part of God's plan for this world. And it's a plan of transformation and change. And it talked about in the passage in Corinthians that when we become a part of that body, we become a part of the resurrection body, refreshed and sustained Each of us have the choice to become a part of that body of Christ, to submit our lives to him and say, I'm going to be a part of that resurrected body. So if you're a part of the resurrected body, there's something deeper that you can gain from that unity in Christ. Does that make sense? So my third point is this, there's a deeper unity to have. So first of all, when we find ourselves in him, when we grow, go on that journey of becoming the body, there's a deeper unity of something we've never experienced before, where breakthrough can come, where healing can come, where refreshing can come, where new life can come, because of the deeper unity we find in the body of Christ. We're united under Christ as the head. We're not next to but we take on that identity of Christ. And that doesn't mean you lose who you are. You're still you. But when we take on the identity of Christ, that means we have access to all the things that that person has access to. If somebody comes along and steals your identity, which people tend to do quite a lot in this day and age, we hear so much about identity theft. 
And they can basically take everything from you if they do that. They take all your assets. They take all your finance. They take all your personal details. They can take everything and wipe you out. It's a major issue in our day and age. But God calls us to surrender our identity and be part of Christ's identity. So if we take on Christ's identity, then that means all of his assets, all of his finance, all of his resource is suddenly ours and we've not stolen it but it's ours because we become a part of that identity we take that on I'm going to read your story from Mark 5 and hopefully this will help to explain and it says now in that crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors. Yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was not getting better, but worse. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch his clothes, I know I will be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed from the disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that had always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, what do you mean who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him for healing. When the woman who experienced the miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him, trembling with fear, and threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. And she told him his story of what had just happened. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, because you dared to believe, your faith has healed you. Go in peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. And you may wonder, well, what's, what you, why are you telling me that? What's that got to do with unity? Listen, she touched him and he, in the midst of the biggest crowd, pushing up against him imagine the most crowded place you have ever been whether it's the queue for the lunch at school or whether it's at an airport or a concert or a football match people are pressing up against you whether it's the next sale at Christmas whatever it is where you've been pushed up against people and you wouldn't know who had touched you because there's that many people about Jesus said who touched me? And it just seemed to his disciples the most stupidest question in the world. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You're pushing through a crowd. But there was something different in what she did. The difference in what she did was this. She touched him with intent. She touched him with belief. She united herself with him in a way that nobody else around him was doing. And through it, it brought healing. It brought joy. It brought flourishing. It brought strength. It brought breakthrough. 
Frederick von Schiller said this, even the weak become strong when they are united. Can I encourage you this morning? There are two different ways that you can walk with Jesus. One is in the crowd next to him. The other is pushing through the crowd, taking hold of the tassels of his garments and believing that in uniting yourself with him, there is breakthrough, there is victory, and there is healing. There is a deeper unity to be had with Jesus than just to stand next to him, but to actually be a part of him, to actually take on his identity, to actually then embody his assets in his resurrection life within in your life and circumstances, there is deeper unity than any of us have ever known when we've simply walked alongside him. Jesus calls us to be united as his body, as part of who he is. Suddenly, the resource of heaven became available to this woman because she believed because she entered into a step of unity with Christ that none of the others were entering into. She touched him in a way that brought healing and that brought breakthrough. Ben spoke last week on Psalm 133. And to take just the end of it, it talks about if we dwell in unity, then there God commands the blessing. God does all these things. He pours the oil out and everything else, but God commands the blessing when we dwell in unity. So if we are in unity with Christ, if we are in unity therefore with one another, because we're not looking at what each other's doing, but actually our eyes are fixed on Christ, the head of the body, instead of looking what the foot or the hand is doing, then we are united in a deeper way and in a way that brings blessing upon blessing beyond what you've ever known in a way that brings healing where you've never known it in a way that brings breakthrough where you've never experienced it before and what do we need to do? We need to simply open our eyes and see that we are surrounded we are surrounded by him if we choose to be Hebrews 12 talks about being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on if we choose to be in unity with Christ, if we choose to be in unity with one another. If you are part of a body, you're no longer an isolated foot or hand, but you're surrounded by the body. If we will only open our eyes and see the value in unity, see the value in not picking fault at one another, keeping our eyes on Jesus and being a part, then there is victory in that place. Now I want to read your final scripture. It's from 2 Kings chapter 6. And the background to this story is basically, at the time there's a prophet called Elisha and he keeps telling the king of Israel what the king of Syria is going to do. And the king of Syria basically just keeps losing all the battles he's trying to fight with Israel because Elisha keeps saying, this is what he's going to do next. This is what he's going to do next. So the king of Syria is like quite cross with Elisha. So he finds out where he is and he sends his troops to a city called Dothan where Elisha and his servant is, and they surround the city. And the story goes from there. 
It says, when the horses, servants of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are far more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This morning, God wants to open your eyes so that you can see in Christ the full resource of heaven is available to surround you and encompass you and be there for you. The whole resource of heaven is there to be united with you in your struggle, in your difficulty, no matter what is going on. This morning, God wants to open your eyes to see there is a deeper unity to be had if we lay aside our pet squabbles, if we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ instead of on one another or ourselves, then we can see that there is unity and victory and blessing comes from that place. And you know, this morning, you may be surrounded by many things. You may be surrounded by ill health. You may be surrounded by hardships, mental health issues, stress, relationship difficulties, work pressure, financial difficulties. You may be surrounded by many of those things this morning. But I want to introduce you to the one who surrounds you despite of those difficulties. I want to get your eyes open this morning to see that in unity, there is something greater that comes. There is a greater blessing. There is a greater breakthrough. There is a different perspective to have when we see that actually Jesus is for me, Jesus is with me and the resource that he carries is mine because I am united with him. This morning, we're gonna sing a song in a minute and it talks about, it's basically got two lines and it says, this is how I fight my battles and then it goes on to talk, it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. This morning, I want to encourage you that you may look like you're surrounded by your difficulties. You may look like things are all over you and you can't get out. But can I remind you, can I open your eyes to see that actually you are surrounded by him. Actually, you are surrounded by all of us championing you, cheering you on and in unity saying we are with you, we are for you, we are praying for you. You are not alone. Jesus is with you and as a body of believers we stand together as one believing for victory believing for breakthrough so when you feel consumed by your work when you feel consumed by your relationships when you feel like nothing is going your way can I remind you that Jesus actually surrounds you in that place and that as a body we surround you with prayers and with support and encouragement if Jesus surrounds you, one of the things it says that Jesus is, is that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Judah means praise. And this song is 
saying, this is how I fight my battles. And what he's talking about, the guy who wrote it, he's talking about, I fight my battles with praise. I fight my battles praising God. And if we're a body and our focus is on him, then our focus isn't on our circumstances or our difficulties or our frustrations or our sickness. Our focus is on him. And when we fix our eyes on him, there is praise to bring because he is good and he is faithful and he never leaves us alone. So this morning, let's stand to our feet and we're going to praise God. This morning, if you have difficulties, then let me encourage you, praise God in and through them. If you are struggling, know that He surrounds you and that He never leaves you. This morning, I pray that God will open your eyes to see Jesus for who He really is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and your victory show this morning. May Jesus surround us.